Before we start this podcast, we would like to acknowledge the true locals, the First Nations people who have been custodians of the lands, waters and cultures for tens of thousands of years. We pay respect to First Nations elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this podcast is taking place on Gadigal land in Australia, where sovereignty was never ceded. James Griffin is a member for Manly and New South Wales Environment and Heritage Minister. James is responsible for environmental initiatives such as replanting seaweed in the Sydney Harbour, banning single-use plastics and incentivising electric vehicle purchases in New South Wales. He has helped secure the WSL QS Pro in Manly and the WCT Pro event in Narrabeen. We sat down to talk about all these things and more in this body. got James Griffiths on the podcast today. How you going, James? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, really good, mate. Thanks so much for having me in your beautiful office and down in the heart of Manly. It's um, cracker day. It's got three surfboards behind you, so the boardroom, very much. Yeah, definitely the boardroom. Actually, even as I walked in, there was, there was boards littered around everywhere. It's definitely got the heart and soul of surfing. Yeah, you can the... tell it's uh, an office in the heart of Manly that's, I think, well, I've tried to reflect the really deep history that Manly and the Northern Beaches has in surf culture, um, even to people that come in unsuspectingly to a member of Parliament's office and find a bunch of surfboards on the wall. Yeah, that's so interesting. And surfing has deep roots in the Northern Beaches. And we'll go into a little bit later, but like the it kind of started in the Northern Beaches, didn't it, with the Duke coming in to Harvard? Absolutely. So. Duke Kamanahuku um, came out and did the first demonstration of uh, surfing at that time in Australia. And only last month, we actually installed a really cool blue plaque on Freshwater Surf Club when you come down the steps onto Freshy Beach, um, acknowledging that he was there and that he did that, um, which basically kicked off surfing as we know it today in this country. So pretty phenomenal history. It is, yeah. You couldn't have picked a better beach as well. Freshie's just like my, my favourite beach, one of the most beautiful. And it's definitely started an absolute wildfire of what is now Australian surfing. Um, before we kind of dive deeper into all that stuff, I just want to ask you, yeah, where did you grow up and what was life like growing up? I grew up all around Australia because both my mum and dad were in the army. And so part of that job means that you're getting posted around and don't really have much choice in terms of where you you end up um, living. So we've lived everywhere as far north as Townsville. Um, in, we've also done a bunch of different locations in New South Wales, over Randwick, um, for example, in the city, um, and then down in Victoria, in a place called Williamstown um, as well, and then some time in the UK. So I think I went to six different primary schools, um, which was really good because you learnt um, and saw a lot of Australia uh, and a lot of parts of the world, but at the same time didn't really have uh, you know, um, roots as a young kid growing up until we finally found Manly, and I've been here since 1997. Wow. When you, when you got to Manly, did you was there something about you that like, this felt like home, or were you just kind of 
you know, you've already experienced so many different places, but is it just like another kind of leaf in the... No, I think um, you're spot on mum and dad. Well, we came across like a lot of people do on the ferry and as tourists one weekend and we're like, wow, this place is really special. We ended up not walking down the Corso, but turning right and heading around to Little Manly, uh, Collins Flat and Store Beach near the quarantine station. And at that point, they decided that's where they wanted to um, end up when they retired out of the army. And so we all sort of dropped here in 1997. Um, and then, yeah, there was that massive moment um, where we, as young people, I've got a brother and a sister who realised that this is where we're going to stay now and through that we started to do a lot of things in the local community which in part is how I ended up in this job today. Yeah, awesome. So I guess one of those things you would have done in the local community was probably get down to the ocean. How did your relationship with the ocean first come about? Was it surfing or nippers or what kind of um, mediums were you enjoying yourself? Yeah, a mix of all. Um, so did nippers... Um, got out on the board, mum was pretty keen um, bodyboarder and so we uh, got in the water with her quite a lot, learned to surf in Manly, um, did the Map Ranger surf school as you know young young um, kids and then as a lot of people who enjoy surfing know it's sort of like riding a bike, you, once you get it you don't really forget, you get rusty of course and age can have its impact but once you kind of know what you're doing, um, it's pretty hard to forget. So whilst I don't get out as much anymore, it was predominantly through surfing. Um, uh, over time, it just kind of fell away. But um, through surfing and just getting out and enjoying the water, that was that was how I kind of fell in love with it. Yeah, awesome. And um, wow, what a real grassroots straight from Manly Surf School and then onto that. I think that's pretty classic tail in most like kids from Northern Beaches live. Did you kind of go up and down the coast to explore at this time as well? Were you going up, up further north to some of those beaches up there or did you just mainly hang out around Manly? Mainly, mainly corner. Um, you know, as a young kid after school, getting out there with friends and enjoying that when the flags came down, get a good, reasonably good little wave there. Um, but mum was pretty adventurous and so my brother and I went with her on a surf safari um, up north coast and uh, had really good fun doing that when uh, we were quite young so that was pretty formative in terms of looking at all the beautiful beaches the further you get up the coast but um, yeah you can't beat Little Manly Corner if you're a young, a young person just having a, a smash around on a board yeah it's always got a wave down there always protected from so many different elements I know when I was living in Bondi I'd often be looking at the surf cams it'd be middle of winter big southerly swell big southerly wind and I was just flick on the Manly Surf Cam and I was like, oh, I don't want to look at that. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. Two foot and clean. <laughs> That's it. But I'm goofy, so my brother enjoys bow more than me. Um, back end's not my strength. Yeah, those, those waves around the corner and the back end would not be the most fun. <laughs> um, well, that's awesome. But before we kind of delve into the great work and initiatives that you've led, I'd love to find out a bit more about your vision for the Northern Beaches surfing community. Um, I read up on you securing the WSL Pro at Manly Beach from 2020 to 2022 and upgrading it from a QS 6000 to a QS 10000. Can you tell us a bit more about this process and um, where you want to see professional surfing um, go on the Northern Beaches in 2023? Mm. So Manly has a pretty long crowd history of surf events. Um, the heyday, I guess, of uh, like the Coke Classic in the early 90s. Um, Lane Beachley was a huge part of reviving um, that competition as well. 
Um, and then over time with the WSL um, and the CT, great opportunities for Northern Beaches surfers to get wild countries and also bring together a lot of the great work that local board rugby clubs do in supporting um, surfers on their pathway if they want to turn professional. We had an opportunity um, late uh, in 2021, I think it was, 2020, um, to get to secure a 10,000 point score event as a part of the new Challenger series that WSL were rolling out and managed to lock that in for Manly, which was amazing. Um, that was really good working with Surfing New South Wales who have been great supporters of events in Manly and partnering with the WSL to deliver some really big names um, coming out here. We had Kelly Slater come out, um, which drew a huge crowd. I actually see a photo of you and Kelly behind your head. Very jealous, the GOAT. I presented in the Manly Marlins cap, the rugby union hat, um, as a bit of a Aussie memento um, for him coming here. But that that was really cool where um, this was sponsored that year. It was a really great event. Um, the So we've put a lot of money into securing uh, those events as well as supporting local board rider clubs and, and competitions and longboard events and others. But um, unfortunately, last the last major event we had, uh, it was pretty horrific because the day we were meant to go into the finals was um, kind of COVID happened and that was the beginning of it. Uh, so that put an end to that and then it's been a slow recovery since that period of time. The surfers though have been pretty clear that, that um, North Narrabeen break is something that they want to um, enjoy a bit more and put on a bit more of a show up there. Which is fine, I think as long as an event is on the northern beaches then that's, you know, everybody benefits from that. So we'll keep working with Surfing New South Wales and WSL to continue securing good events, whether it's Challenger Series or um, uh, or something else, um, to make sure we've got a, a good, good, good competition. Yeah. The so, so you're thinking North Narrabeen will be the spot if, if WSL are going to come back and yeah. post a CT? Yeah. 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 And that's fine. Like good break up there. Um, did a lot for that local community, and everybody could kind of get up and down the northern beaches and enjoy it. Yeah, that's that's true. There's it's a pretty pretty big open space there, so it's probably and kind of halfway in the northern beaches, so people can commute in quite quite easily. Um, yeah, really good, high quality left-hander on its day. Hopefully they get it one of those days where it just all lines up and it would be quite yeah. a spectacle. Um, so yeah, there's so many other great um, beaches on, on the northern beaches. Um, can you think, it, would there be potential to go somewhere else after that as well? Like, you know, there's, there's a dozen kind of high quality waves around, around this stretch. Yeah, or, certainly not um, short on opportunities. And it's a real kind of, logistical exercise to get the council, Surfing New South Wales who deliver the event and WSL to land on where they think the best um, break will be, the best um, visitor or viewer experience as well as where they can actually position all the stuff that's required to put on a big event. So it's yeah. quite a, an effort that North Narrabeen's worked well um, and of course as always not staying um, or manly uh, to, to bring it back to the safe option. Do the lo- does the local sentiment come into it a little bit as well? Like well, yeah. if the local surfers are keen or not keen? Yeah, no, I'm going to be super conscious of that. And I think that's why it's been great with the North Narrabeen guys. They were really welcoming and said, we'd love to have our break showcased globally. And 
um, have some of the world's best surfers um, go out there and, and enjoy and celebrate what's a great break. So it was really cool. Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, moving kind of into your climate work, um, I think most of us are aware at the moment that climate change is the most pressing issue in the world. Um, what are some of your biggest initiatives you think that people can do on a personal level and at, at your government level to try and decarbonise the community coming in 2023? Yeah, so as New South Wales Environment Minister, um, obviously a lot of work I do is to help propel and move our state's agenda to net zero um, and to transition from fossil fuels to renewable energy as quickly as possible. We've got a really um, amazing uh, program of work that's being rolled out as we speak. And the World Wildlife Fund did their annual um, ratings of each state in Australia and put New South Wales as number one, which we're really proud of. Um, the Climate Council, um, Parents for Climate Action, a whole host of independent organisations have looked at what we're doing in New South Wales and said, great work, keep going. So from transitioning and creating the infrastructure, so the poles and wires that you see in the street, um, and creating them so that they can plug into a, a renewable energy grid through to um, incentives for people to buy electric vehicles and creating the charging stations right across New South Wales so you could drive from one end of the state to the other and not be concerned about where you're going to plug in. There are all sorts of things that we're doing concurrently to make sure that we can reach net zero um, as quickly as possible. Included in that is uh, whether it's your public transport. So we're going to bring electrification of our buses. Um, one of the first places that will kick off is in Brookvale in the depot there. Electrifying ferries, or the whole public transport system as well, um, through to some really practical um, supports for businesses, big and small, to help them understand that it's you know, it's not going to be a great cost to you to make the switch. And I think that's where a lot of people need support guidance is to understand what they can do in their own life to make a change. And that's getting easier with each month that goes by as more people, uh, more technology comes online and more opportunities to do it. Yeah, for sure. And I think the, some, the thing some people are missing, it's a short-term pain for a very long-term gain. Like you might have to make a little bit of investment up front for the change or a different vehicle or whatever. Yeah. But just those ongoing running costs are just going to be so yeah. much lesser. Like I've, I've got an electric bike now and I don't, I don't take my car. I only take it out on the weekends when I need to go up and down the coast or see shops. But just around Manly, it's actually the perfect place for an electric bike. And yeah. the bike community here is huge, all the teenagers going around. And I think it's, it's really a lot stronger over here than the east um, of who's using electric bikes. Um, but I just I spend so much less on fuel. Like I don't... You know, my fuel bill was like $100 plus a week and now it's a third of that. It's just... Yeah, yeah. so there's cost savings to be made and it's only going to get cheaper. Um, so to transform the whole energy and electricity generating that happens in New South Wales, it's kind of like flying a plane and having to change the engine while you're mid-flight. So it's not as simple as just unplugging it and plugging the next one in. It takes time and it's quite delicate. And that's why it is called a transition. Can't happen overnight, but we're well on the way. Um, and when we get there, it would be, be great. And, you know, I think that uh, the public has turned the corner. There's no other debate around, you know, why we're doing this. It's just how quickly and what are we doing. And that's a great place to be in. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Uh, 
And in terms of the ocean uh, specifically, kind of what, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen happening in the, in the ocean and around that environment? I'm really thrilled with um, a policy that announced this year, the world's largest harbour restoration project. And it's uh, nearly $10 million to reforest um, the ocean, uh, Sydney Harbour. And what that means is we're replanting seaweed and kelp that previously was in abundance throughout Sydney Harbour prior to it being a working port and working harbour. And alongside the kelp and seaweed, we're also installing what are called living seawalls. And they're kind of like a concrete recreation of um, uh, shells and oysters that you'd find ordinarily um, around a, a, a riverbank or a seabed. And through that, we're improving the water quality and also the marine biodiversity that's found in Sydney Harbour. A lot of people would have seen recently uh, the new swimming spot opening at Barangaroo, uh, where you can swim in Sydney Harbour. 20 years ago, no way. Like, the chemicals in there, the water quality would have been so bad, it'd be crazy to swim in. So I think it's also a really great example of where um, we've got... You can be hopeful. Like, there are projects and technology and really smart thinkers that are now implementing that work that are making, um, turning the corner when it comes to the environment. So the Harbour Restoration Project, we're rolling out at the moment and we plan to make more parts of Sydney Harbour and even up the Parramatta River swimmable um, and that'll be a great outcome and it just brings back more marine life as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you're kind of building these structures and then the seaweed likes to cling onto it and then so there's more space for them to... Yep. to grow yeah so they yep. repopulate then the fish come along and the other smaller um, uh, organisms in the marine environment which clean and filter the water so there it's it's supporting a naturally occurring event that hasn't happened because it's been a working um, harbor you know um, kilometers of seawall concreted or you know was concreted because people and industry moved there so yep. that's been really good um, and we also announced the first ever blue carbon strategy which is helping um, coastal communities and coastal landholders understand the importance of mangroves and estuaries and um, the flow between the ocean and rivers and improving that space to decrease um, acidity in the soil, improve soil quality, and then they can actually get carbon credits for the carbon they're collecting in, in those mangroves and areas. So yeah. it's all good stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. I know mangroves and seaweed just sequest so much carbon more than yeah. trees. and all those kind of things. I had um, sea trees on yeah. and they um, they were really, really good in kind of explaining all that, that science behind it. Um, so yeah, another initiative you've just uh, launched, which is huge in my books, is the phase out of um, single plastics, bags, straws, um, all those kind of nasty things that I often pick up on the beach when I'm coming home from the surf. Yeah, so could you tell us a bit more about this initiative and how it's gonna roll out or how it is being yeah. rolled out? So we made the move to ban problematic plastics and in order to get to the definition of that what is a problematic plastic we undertook surveys over a long period of time of basically litter that was found in parks rivers waterways and in our environment and identified where it came from and then worked backwards with industry to say look you're going to have to change here um we'll give you fair warning but at some point we're going to come in and ban this because it's not being reused, it's not being recycled, it's single use, and it's what's ending up in our environment. Ultimately, the plastic then breaks down, gets into the food stream, it's being put on soil, 
um, it's being consumed by animals and it's ending up in, in we're ingesting yeah that. and humans yeah. when you're taking a sip of salt water crazy <laughs> yeah um, so we came in and in uh, July this year banned single use plastic bags and then in November went further and banned um, single use cutlery straws bowls plates and other things um, we're also going to review the next phasing of what we'll ban and we'll continue doing that because um, that sends a really strong signal to consumers and industry that things have to change and where government needs to step in it will so yeah. it's been good can i ask a question about that yeah um uh, sushi those yeah, little sushi, sushi fishes on it yeah, yeah. So I, knew, I knew they would be yeah. <laughs> so all matter of, of single use plastics are on, are on the list and yeah. um, we had a really good national environment ministers meeting a couple of months ago all the states and territories got together and everybody sort of discussed where their state was up to in banning plastic and what we found was that hey let's let's harmonize where we're, we're at because you know a cafe in sydney is sort of doing the same thing as one in perth so if we can harmonize what they're doing then that will allow us to move quicker um, yeah. so it's, it's quite an exciting time that's awesome um i also know you work closely with saving one of my favorite organizations who's um tackling the plastic solution in the harbours and in, in the beaches. Um, could you tell us a bit about, a little bit about their solutions and kind of some other solutions that you might see um, that we might not know about? Yeah, well, Stephen, great organisation. Shout out to Tom and Pete, um, two great guys. Um, they, I think one of the hidden gems of what Stephen are doing is their data collection. So we've um, done it and had a number of discussions with them about how they're collecting the input so what goes what's found in the sea bins and then that helps tell the story of whether the ban that we put in place in november is kicked in or like what the effect of has there been a lag what happened so for example they um had really interesting information around post-covid the number of masks that they were finding in the water so a direct correlation between us as humans doing something and then the impact on the environment so really excited to be exploring ways in which we can work with CBN more closely and help them expand their operations. But one of the things for me is the goldmine of data that they're sitting on and helping um, understand and unpack that a bit more. It's another really, really exciting organisation that I've come across, um, ULU, U-L-W-U, um, who have created a seaweed-based synthetic that mimics plastic um, and uh, poly uh, polyester that's in clothing. So basically, if they can scale this, then the fashion industry, which are really challenged in terms of fast fashion and the amount of waste that goes to landfill, would have a comparable alternative for plastic um, or chemical-based stuff that's in, in our clothing. The seaweed breaks down um, and, and doesn't leave a footprint once it's gone. So um, they recently won a, a um, a significant cash prize to help scale and work, um, keep working on the product that they're developing. So, so much cool stuff. And then um, finally, I think, you know, people might see them in their shopping centres or on their, in the street blocks, um, is the return and earn vending machine, which is the state government's program where you put in your bottles and your cans. We've gotten to a point now where we're the biggest plastic recycling facility in the whole country down in Albury in New South Wales and that's where all of those bottles end up and it gets turned back into pellets which are then turned back into plastic bottles so if if you don't have a 
um, uh, reusable, pliable, and you purchase a, a, a Mount Franklin or a water, it's now about seven days from that purchase off the shelf, going to returner, going to Aubrey, and then back on the shelf. So it's total circular economy. Circular economy, that's amazing. There's some really great initiatives in there. and. Uh, that seaweed one um, that's really exciting like I, I think just on, that's what kind of pricked my ears up they're all exciting but just um, those alternatives that we know they must be out there but it, they just haven't kind of hit that commercial level yet yeah. um, we had Tom from Wave Changer on a couple episodes ago the episode hasn't come out yet but um, we were talking about seaweed for for, re- for the resin of boards as yes. well someone's uh, onto that and um, he was also talking about instead of using um PU or the, the foam core of the boards is uh, a mushroom core. Mm. So, like, imagine to have that you have a mushroom core and yeah. then you've got the outside of the board with seaweed resonance. Like, that's that's where the future is going. So, that's super exciting. What are some of the other biggest issues Northern Beaches is facing on the environmental front? Um, what are some initiatives your team's looking at going into 2023? I think. Um a lot of the issues we face here are similar to other communities across the state. You know, one would be, uh, as we discussed, the transition to EVs and making sure that's affordable. And also some of the complications if you live in a unit block, like how do you have the charging infrastructure, how does that work? So we've set out some guidelines for strata and units to help them um, get through the roadblocks of having an EV charger on, on premises. So really having the infrastructure there to give people confidence that it's okay to buy an EV. Because we've got, basically, if it's under, I think, 78 grand, um, we'll give you a cash rebate of, I think, a couple of thousand dollars. And if it's over it, we'll pay the rego for the car. So as an incentive to say to people, you know, an EV doesn't have to be a very expensive purchase for you. It can be um, actually on par with a small car. And so, so really helping, encouraging that transition and people uh, embracing that. Um, obviously, we've got uh, North Head National Park up, up the road um, coming with its final stages of a massive $3.2 million investment to improve the infrastructure there. Yeah, I went for a sunset up there the night with my girlfriend. It was beautiful. Yeah. yeah, so once that's complete, it would be amazing. My philosophy with our national parks is that um, they're for everybody and that if you enter as a tourist, you'll definitely leave as a conservationist. And that's why um, I announced the other week our Great Walk Strategy. So 13 new multi-day walks right throughout New South Wales to, to challenge, um, in my view, Tasmania as kind of the, the go-to spot where people think of, oh, I'm going to do a multi-day hike, I'll go to Tassie because they've got the great you know, three capes walk or whatever it might be. But we've got that and better in New South Wales. So we've put a strategy together to help promote that, really support that. Um, because our national parks and expanding them are fundamental. That's like the apex of conservation. If it's in a national park, it's protected in perpetuity. But the more people that we get in the park, the more they love it, and then the more they advocate and support national parks. Yeah, yeah, that's that's amazing work. I actually just went to the Karingai National Park, and my mum was up a couple of weeks ago, and she like we were blown away. I was yeah. like, this is only twenty minutes from my doorstep. Yeah. It's yeah. just that's no, super cool. I love in Canada, for example, um, doctors can prescribe. A national park pass um, as a mental health kind of response um, because of the clear mental health and medical benefits of getting out into nature. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I'm just going to finish off with our end fire questions so you can just answer in kind of a sentence or two sentences. 
So if you're going to give yourself, your 16-year-old self, any life advice, what would it be? Uh, They're tough. They're tough. <laughs> um, failure is not fatal. Nice. Um, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? It's a bit strange, but I just, because I'm reading about it at the moment, Napoleon. Like, yeah, yeah. That'd, that'd be such a cool, yeah, like, just transition of times and sharing stories. 1810, he was mid-30s, commanding this massive empire, and I just, you know, be pretty crazy, and then he... Fell in a big giant heap. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe shoot how not to do is in there as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, if the world was going to end and you had one country to travel around for a surf trip, uh, what would it be and why? That's hard. Um, I've heard really good things about Costa Rica. Never really explored um, that part of the world, so I'd have to put that on there. I've, I've spent a month in Costa Rica and loved it. Okay. So cool. And my actual, my favourite place is just next door in Panama. Right. Um, there's a little set of islands called Bocas del Toro, and they're like a little chain of islands. You get these boats between them, and the surf breaks are amazing. And okay. It's probably the nicest place I've ever been. There so, yeah, you could back up. Um, where do you see the future of the oceans going? Um, I think, you know, the oceans are essentially the world the world's biggest asset and I think there's so much energy and so much um, invention and innovation focused on supporting our oceans that they're just going to keep getting better. I think we've, whether it's fishing, whether it's overfishing I should say, whether it's marine conservation, whether it's um, improving water quality, there's so much going on. That's quite exciting. That's really um, comforting for me to hear that from, from someone like you. So thank you for that answer. Um, why does the ocean matter to you? Well, it's it's all here where we live. It is, it is all around us. Um, I think the therapeutic benefits it delivers, not to mention the fact that it basically is the engine of, of the earth. Um, we can't live without it. And, and it's, it's something we've got to care for and look after. Beautifully said. Uh, thanks very much for your time, Jane. Really had a, had a great chat. No Appreciate it. Good fun. Cheers. If you enjoyed this episode of Ocean Matters Podcast, powered by Board Socks, then please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would be incredibly grateful to keep this show moving in the right direction and to keep spreading the word and the stories of the ocean's beautiful powers to people from all walks of life.
enjoyed this episode of Ocean Matters Podcast powered by Board Socks, then please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We would be incredibly grateful to keep this show moving in the right direction and to keep spreading the word and the stories of the ocean's beautiful powers to people from all walks of life. <laughs>